0: I took about four years off, I would say, of playing. I want to get back to a place where I enjoy putting my OBA together. I'm not embarrassed to play for someone because I'm out of shape.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is Casey. And I'm Elena. And you're listening to another episode of Earbuds Engaged, Portfolios of the Young Professional. A podcast
2: for fellow teaching artists and those searching for their niche in the music
1: world. And our goal is to create a community of individuals who share our vision for the future of classical music. And if you believe you are one of those individuals, it would mean the world for us for you to go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review, as that is the best way for us to be found online. Yes, also, we now release new episodes every
2: Monday, and in order to make them as relevant as possible, we need your feedback. Yes, all right. Okay, so today we have another special guest. His name is Taylor Reitman, because he's the right man to be on our podcast for today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you say that, because a teacher when I was in like fourth grade used to call me Taylor Reitman, the right man for the job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's how I remember how to pronounce them. Good slogan for um, trying to be class president. There you go. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes, so Taylor is my friend and colleague from IU as well. He was also in the oboe studio and he was a double major in oboe performance and German. Yes. So welcome, Taylor.
0: (laughs) Thanks for having me.
2: Mhm. You live in Chicago, but right now you are in Indiana,
0: right? Right. So in the midst of this pandemic, I was very lonely in Chicago cuz I couldn't meet up with friends or anything cuz social distancing. Um so and I'm not really working, so I just decided to come ahead home and just not be alone and be around family and the friends down here that I have. And like the pandemic is way wor- or way better down here. There's not nearly as many cases, so it's just overall a safer situation for me. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. hmm And right now, you are a flight attendant. Where, where do you work with, or who do you work
0: with? I am a flight attendant for United Airlines, and I'm based in Chicago, hence why I live there.
1: <laughs> How long have you been doing that?
0: I've done that since right after graduating IU, and I graduated in 2016.
1: Interesting. So was that just something that kind of came up and you were like, yeah, that sounds fun. Or was that like kind of a secret like thing that you wanted to do? Not, I mean, it might not be a secret. I don't know you at all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Where did that come from?
0: Um, Well, my second major while at IU was German and... (laughs) <laughs> My last semester, I was like, oh, shoot, I graduate in like three weeks, four weeks, and I don't have a job lined up. So I literally went to Google and searched jobs that use foreign languages, and like a random list popped up. And on that list was flight attendant. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that could have like some adventures attached to it. So I literally then Googled which airlines were hiring and applied that night. And within a few weeks, I had gone through all the interviews and had a training date.
1: Wow, awesome So then, is it uh, international or Um, Um, well I was
0: Yeah, so domestic As we call it
1: Domestic
0: Um I was hired as a German speaker, and so normally when those routes are running, that's what I'm typically flying. But I am allowed to, and I am qualified, and I often do fly domestic flights as well and work those. So I typically fly international. I usually end up in Munich, Germany. That's that's my preferred city, if I'm going to be spoiled and be selfish and fly what I want to fly.
2: <laughs> and isn't your town in Indiana pretty German somehow?
0: It is very German. Um, there was a lot of settlers that they came to the States and they like kind of, they didn't start my hometown, but they came here and a huge population in heritage is German. And we always have this German street festival every year. And we have a partnership with the German city. And there's a lot of connections and relations there that every year we're kind of like as a community, we're nurturing that and doing things with our hosts, our um Sister City, as we call it, over in Germany.
2: hmm And you also studied abroad in Germany for one year. I
0: did, and I actually lived in our sister city the entire year that I was there. Oh, so I okay. I really helped feed into that like sister city companionship that we have.
2: Oh, that's so cool. Is that something you were able to choose?
0: Not really. So it just kind of worked out. IU, the German op- um, programs for studying abroad that IU has... Um, they have a full year or one semester in Freiburg, Germany, which is where I ended up going. But 20 minutes outside of Freiburg is my sister city. So it was just kind of a coincidence that it worked out that way.
1: Like, do you really enjoy it? Do you plan on doing it for a while? Or is it kind of like, ah, it works for now. Let's figure out what's going to be more long term.
0: It's kind of a bit of both. So I really enjoy doing it and I keep telling myself that I'll keep doing it as much as I'm enjoying it. But the moment that it becomes more of like a job and like an obligation, something I have to do just to make money and not something that I actually enjoy and want as Mm -hmm. a career at that point, then I'll probably make the decision to kind of find other venues to try and explore. But for now, who knows how long I'll do it. It could be a lifelong career or it could be just something I do for 10 years and then bow down and move on. But we'll see. I don't really know. I don't have an answer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I imagine it's hard to keep, um, I don't know, any sort of relationships um, with being gone for so long. I I mean, I guess I'm assuming that you're gone for a while. Um, You don't just fly there and back in one day. No,
0: so typically (laughs) – no, I don't. No, I don't. So typically they are typically three-day trips. So, like, if I leave on a Monday, I'll come back on Wednesday – um Mm -hmm. and you do those for me I typically do them anywhere between four and six times a month so we're talking anywhere from 12 to half of the month but sometimes even more like I can fly every single day of the month if I actually chose to Mm -hmm. um but Mm -hmm. yeah no you you do spend usually at least half or not more than half of the month away from home and that does it is challenging to have personal connections with people like locally and you have to just rely a lot on like FaceTiming and messaging and things like that to stay in touch with people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I just imagine that would be the hardest with, um with a career like that. Yeah. But Hey, it, it also on the flip side does sound really cool.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get to travel the world and get paid to do yeah. it. So can I really complain too much about it? No.
2: <laughs> so where all have you traveled? Like what are some highlights?
0: Um, Well, domestically, I actually, one of my favorite cities to go to is Sacramento and Seattle. Those two cities are actually so much fun to go visit. Um, Anchorage, Alaska, if you guys get the chance, you have to go. Anchorage is such a cool city, especially in the summertime. It'll be 11 p.m. and the sun is still shining and you'll be freaked out. But it is so cool.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it looks gorgeous from pictures I've seen.
0: But I feel like on the flip side, if you go in the wintertime, it's the ver- reverse of that. It'll be 1 p.m. and it's still dark outside.
1: <laughs> Alaska is one of those places that I don't think I have fully realized how far away it is from where we're at. Because on the map, they always just you know, like pull it in <laughs> so that <Yeah. laughs> it looks like it's close. <laughs> it's like, no, it's pretty far, actually. It's like, yeah, <laughs> way it's up far. there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of the distance away. <laughs>
2: How does your body handle all the flights? Because when I was doing my auditions, I was like, please, not another airplane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it definitely had a bigger toll on me for the probably the first solid year that I was doing it. My body was really affected. Um, but after about the first year, my body had learned to get used to it and adjust to it. And so now... I mean, if we're going to get specific, my body just bloats when I fly, and then as soon as I land, it all just comes out as gas. That's probably way too much. And cut that out. <laughs> but that's at that point, that's all I have to deal with. And of course, the jet lag. The jet lag is a real thing that I'm constantly battling.
1: Oh God! Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And then I, I assume there's not really. It's hard to have a schedule in your life, a daily routines. I imagine. <sighs>
0: oh. And that's, that's very, very true. And that's actually one thing I'm working on now, because getting into music, I want to find, like, a community ensemble to play a part of. Um, But the problem with Mm -hmm. those things is, they have usually set schedules, and it might be, you know, for community ensembles once or twice a week on, like, Tuesdays and Thursdays or something. Mm -hmm. Like, my schedule changes kind of week to week or month to month, and so I can't always guarantee I'm going to have those days off. So it's hard for me to commit to something, not just music, anything in general, if it has Mm -hmm. a set routine schedule like that, because I don't know if I'll have the work off that day to do it.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you are keeping a regular schedule with your podcast
0: i am Um, yeah
2: so one of the reasons we reconnected i guess after these years out of iu was because you had a podcast and i was starting a podcast Uh, and i was like give me all the insider information
0: (laughs) i remember that day very clearly
2: yeah (laughs) yeah now we talk all the time about our podcasting we
0: we really do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I um if I might do self is that okay.
2: Please do. Oh yeah.
0: Okay. So I and me and my close close friend Ryan, we host a podcast called Under the Horror Dome. It's kind of your best two in one situation if you love horror books and horror movies. We discuss books, we discuss the movies and we just drink a little wine while we do it. It's a it's a <laughs> really fun time. So if you're interested in that, feel free to check us out. <laughs>
2: My favorite Ooh, are the okay. bonus episodes with the ghost stories.
0: Yeah. So we've been doing some bonus episodes where people will submit their personal experiences with ghosts or weird things like that. And we read them out on the podcast. And I, it, it's fun, but like at the same time, I don't believe in ghosts. So it's kind of hard for me to fully buy into it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a question about this. Um, do you actually... Is this... Is this for a person who's looking to be entertained by a horror story? Or is this something for people who have already consumed the horror story and now it's a commentary on it? Or kind of both?
0: Um, A little bit of both, but I would say it's probably 95% it's assumed you've read the source material or you've watched the movie before listening because we go into a lot of spoilers. We do kind of go plot point by plot point and discuss things, but it's not a full-on summary. And we are just kind of discussing our reactions and opinions and thoughts over things. But there have been a few times where we will read a story aloud on the podcast. So, um, there was this story by Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, I think, who like had this whole Hollywood movie. We read a short story of his and we didn't realize at first that it was Andy Weir, who's like this best selling author. <laughs> and we just like read his short story out on the podcast and then we find out that he's actually like very well known and that was fun. So,
2: And didn't Ryan like reach out to him and ask if you guys could read it?
0: He did. He like, he's just like <laughs> casually like, messaged him on Facebook. He's like, hey, so I read this story of yours like 10 years ago. Can we read it aloud? <laughs> not knowing who he was messaging casually on Facebook. And the guy replied. I thought it was really cool. Oh,
2: yeah, that's <laughs> really awesome. Oh, I love that.
0: He's like, yeah, as long as you're not making money off of it, I don't care. Just, just read it aloud. I don't care. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So then, uh, how long have you been doing that?
0: Um, Our first episode released June 3rd of 2019, so just under a year.
1: Okay, nice. And then what made you want to um, do it?
0: Well, he and I are both avid readers, and we kind of buddy read through Stephen King's The Stand um and we found it very fun as we were reading along to kind of discuss our opinions and reactions to things and he's also he was an avid avid podcast listener and he'd always been wanting to start a podcast so he kind of mentioned it and kind of like dipped his toes into trying to see if i'd be interested and then next thing you know we're buying microphones online and setting everything (laughs) up and doing it
2: (laughs) cool Okay. So what's your favorite episode and then what's your episode you would um you would suggest people start to listen to?
0: Um we did a bonus episode in between our two seasons over the craft that came out in the 90s. It's a movie. Um it's kind of a cult classic and it was just it was really really fun. We had fun like back-and-forth banter. We had a lot of fun discussions. And that movie is so good. And, like, it's one of my all-time favorites. And so that episode over The Craft, it's it's worth checking out. Even if you don't like horror, the, the episode's fun to listen to, regardless. Um, I would preface by saying that our first few episodes were a little on the rough side and i didn't like what we were reading in the beginning so feel free to (laughs) skip those if you if you start listening
1: (laughs) yeah who like is super proud of the first episode that they ever produced of anything
0: (laughs) not me like well the problem is we were covering Carrie by Stephen King, and that book is not long, but I could not finish that book to save myself. I was like, "Ryan, we're just gonna have to record. I'm not finishing this book. I can't do it." <laughs> and on top of that, we were still figuring out microphone stuff, and so in the background, you hear birds chirping, you hear like dogs like barking and huffing and puffing, and it's just—it's a rough episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I totally underestimate. Um... I, I have totally underestimated podcasting before I started or before we started because <laughs> I would just be like, you can't just like turn your phone on and the voice memos and then re- talk and then put it online. Like, isn't that a podcast? <laughs> like, well, In theory,
0: yes. But there is like a lot of audio engineering. I feel like that kind of goes behind it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if yeah, you wanted well, I'm to find that out, well. out now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and well, how often do you um, produce them?
0: Well, um, up until recently, our release schedule was every two weeks or so because we thought with all the reading, people might not read very quickly. Give everyone two weeks to read the book before we release something new. But we've also – we record really far in advance. So typically speaking, if I were to record an episode with him today, we're so far ahead of schedule that that episode probably – Under normal circumstances, won't release for five or six weeks. That's how far in advance we typically prepare. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, right. Usually, it's every other week that we release episodes. But right now, with all the quarantine, we've been doing. On the off weeks, we've been doing bonus episodes where we don't really have to prepare. We kind of just do it last minute and talk about whatever we want to. And it's not necessarily the most on-brand episode, Mm -hmm. if you will, but they're fun. And people are stuck at home, so give them something else to listen to if they want.
1: (laughs) Speaking of Mm on-brand, maybe we should start talking about how you play the (laughs) oboe. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I guess.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, Taylor, tell us a bit about your background in music, maybe before IU.
0: Sure. So when I was younger-ish, not as young as a lot of people, but I would say I was probably in second or third grade. I started taking guitar lessons. I started taking violin lessons. Mm -hmm. And that lasted maybe a year. But one, I didn't know how to read music and I hated it. And two, I never wanted to practice. I maybe practiced... 30 minutes a week before my lesson. So like I wasn't learning anything and it wasn't very effective, but my sister who's three years older, she started in sixth grade band playing the trombone and she got really, really into that. And as a result, like I saw how much fun she was having. So when it came to be that I was of age to join middle school band, I was like, I'm going to do this. And I went to sign up day with the intention of playing tuba (laughs) <laughs> but I walked out playing oboe.
2: That is oh. so weird.
0: <laughs> I walked out being an oboe player, signing up to play oboe.
2: <laughs> How did that happen? Do, or yeah, okay. what?
0: My mom was there with me, and I told mom going there that I was going to do tuba, but we could try out some of the instruments while we are there before we made the final decision what we wanted to sign up for. And I remember that day, um, I wanted to try oboe because when my sister was signing up, she tried to play the oboe, but she couldn't even make a sound on it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to be better than my sister, and I'm going to play the oboe. And then I <laughs> made a few sounds on it, and I was like, this is really fun. I'm going to do this. And what do you know? I changed, changed paths. <laughs> um, so then I started like the, the normal middle school band program, um, getting into you know all-state ensembles in middle school and things like that. Um, and then came high school when it's time for when people typically do marching band. And then I got to play my tuba finally. I learned how to play tuba, and I marched tuba for two years. And then I was drum major for two years. And um, I would say maybe in my sophomore year of high school is when I was already having the idea that I would go to school for music after high school. Like, and I wanted to go to music... Like, um, and I started to research a few music programs And since Indiana is where I was from and IU and Jacobs is right there, I was like, I'm going to Jacobs. I don't care how hard it is to get in. I'm going there. And so my senior year, I was auditioning. I auditioned at four places and Jacobs was my number one choice. And that was the worst audition of all four. So I was like, I'm not getting in. It's fine. My number (laughs) two will be fine. But I did. And then I go there and that's where I met Elena. So I don't regret it.
1: Yes. Oh, so was did you take uh, private lessons for oboe in high school or any private lessons
0: oh, for any instrument? Yes. So um, in sixth and seventh grade, I took from like high school students that played oboe that were just teaching the new people how to kind of put the instrument together and make some sounds and play notes and things like that. Um, but then my eighth grade year, so at my third year of playing, I decided to take lessons from... My high school teacher, who taught at a university and played at a um, in a symphony that was about an hour away, um, and then she taught me all through high school until I okay. Went to so
1: college. you did have someone guiding mm-hmm. you through, and not oh just, for like, sure. I could not be her. where I was yeah. without
0: her. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, I I I just assumed that was implied, but no. Yeah, I did take private lessons for every uh, pretty much every year, but only five of them were with an actual oboe player that was a professional. Mm-hmm.
2: So she kind of encouraged you and helped you prepare for auditions and all that. So that's great.
0: For sure.
2: Yeah. What What made you want to be a performance major?
0: Well, I originally was going to try and be a composition major.
2: <laughs> oh. And
0: then, I, and then I started dabbling a little bit in composition and I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm literally just putting <laughs> notes on a page and hope it sounds good. <laughs> So then, it's like this probably isn't the right thing for me. This is silly. I've never done this. Why am I going to pursue that? Um, mm-hmm. And my high school band director, he actually wanted me to go for music education, but I was very adamant about not doing that because um, I just loved playing, and not mm-hmm. even like a solo playing. I hate doing recitals. I just mm-hmm. love ensemble playing. I just want to sit in an orchestra, even just a wind ensemble, and just play. Like that's all I really wanted to do back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, So that's why I was very adamant about choosing a program that was performance-based and not education-based.
1: How many Mm -hmm. um, oboe players were in your high school band? I assume you Um, weren't the only one, the way you speak of it?
0: There were maybe three or four, depending on the year, um, Mm -hmm. in the high school level, and then maybe a few more that were at the middle school level. So not a lot, but not a few.
1: Yeah, support system of, of different people at different levels. For mm-hmm.
0: sure. The only thing I wish my band had was bassoon players. We didn't have. We didn't even own a bassoon for my band program.
1: <laughs> yeah. What a surprise. I think we had like one. Well, oboes are a little bit cheaper than bassoons. <laughs> a little bit. That's true. Depends on what brand, I guess, you get. But.
0: And I feel like it's a little <laughs> bit easier to find a teacher for an oboe player than it is for a bassoon. Mm-hmm.
2: So did you always have the intention of double majoring? Or did that come later?
0: Well, so IU, the Jacobs School, has this specific program called BSOF. It's a Bachelor of Science with an Outside Field. And it's basically the music program's way of doing a double major without adding on a bunch of general education courses. Um, and I didn't even know it, but I applied for that program and not the actual performance program, which is the BM. <laughs> um, you because didn't even- I. Well, I applied to the, the, the like you had to apply to the university and the school of music, and I applied mm-hmm. to the university with um, declaring that I was going to be a double major. And I guess somehow in the paperwork, they assumed that meant I was going the BSOF route. Um, so then I get to IU and I hear that I am a double major, like as a BSOF, and I wasn't a BM. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be a BM. Like, mm-hmm. am I not like am I not going to be turn out as good of a player because I am not going to be a BM? Like, that's the track that my mind was on. Uh-huh. Um, I, So I always intended to be a double major, but I didn't intend it to be a not-BM. So People see my diploma and see that I'm a Bachelor of Science, and they're like, why are you a Bachelor of Science? You went to music school. <laughs> right,
2: right. It is just but a weird labeling.
0: It is a weird labeling, but I still took the exact same theory courses, the exact same history courses, ear training, piano, private lessons were the exact same. Everything was the exact same. Mm-hmm. I just have a BS instead of a BM,
1: because of mm-hmm. the addition of the German.
0: Exactly, yeah. That was the and that's just the music school way of allowing double majors without adding a lot of coursework.
1: Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. So you always knew you wanted to do German as well. Did you take German in high school?
0: I did. So I started German in high school, and then. Um, because of the German roots in my hometown, my my high school every two years they do like a foreign exchange program where we host people for a few weeks and then we actually go there for four weeks and we live with the host family over there for the half the summer. So that's kind of where Ooh. I inspired that interest and wanted to pursue that a little bit more. Oh, huh.
2: that's fun. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so tell us more about studying abroad in Germany. What all did you do there?
0: Um, I. So, <laughs> leading up to why I chose to study abroad, um, during my sophomore mm-hmm. year in music school, I was on the path downwards of knowing this was the wrong choice. I should not be here. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, I still enjoyed playing, but I didn't like the environment that I was in. It was very toxic in a sense. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: And it, just was starting to really just make it a chore to even put my instrument together. And I didn't like that. And so I knew I wasn't going to have a career with oboe and that I was starting to get the hint that maybe I should just make it more of a hobby. Um, and so I really wanted to devote the time to my second major. And I thought, what a better way to get a break one for music school and two, to really hone in and work on my language skills. So then I was researching programs and I decided to do that and during the year that I was over there, because um, I was there for eleven months, two semesters. I I played some. I did join a couple of community ensembles. The university had an or- orchestra for non majors that anyone can audition for and play. And then they only had one recital or one rehearsal a week, and we gave one concert a semester. Like it was very, <laughs> no it's very youth orchestra like for my, my my youth orchestra years. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then I also played in like a c- local community like wind band that plays basically just a bunch of traditional German folk tunes, which was so much fun. I had some of oh. my best friends from that ensemble.
2: <laughs> that sounds um, so cute. Actually, <laughs> that sounds very popular.
0: It's very popular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so between getting away from music school and kind of spending a year just using music music as a fun hobby and not dedicating. 10 hours a day towards honing in and perfecting my craft, I was able to just confirm and solidify my plans as not pursuing a career in music, but purely just finding a place for music in my life as a hobbyist or someone that enjoys it and will still participate and still be active with it, but not have my income and my livelihood be based on it.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How did your parents feel about all of these decisions? I assume
0: you have parents. They, I do, yeah. <laughs> no, it's raised by wolves. Um, um, no, they were pretty much supportive of every decision I was making because they were kind of there for the journey with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I would explain what I was experiencing, what I was going through, um, the only thing that they were pretty much adamant about was – You know, you signed up for this. You can't quit until you finish your degree. Like, you signed up for it. They're giving you money for it. And plus, also, if I quit, I had to give back my scholarship money. Um, But that's a whole Mm -hmm. different discussion. Mm -hmm. So, they just were saying, like, trying to teach me the lesson of don't quit something halfway through just because you don't like it. See something through to the end, and then you can choose a new path after you've completed that. And Mm -hmm. so, that was the main support that they were providing. And they just wanted to. They didn't want to raise a quitter, I guess. <laughs> and I didn't quit. Yeah. <laughs> I finished my program and then I moved on. That's what I did.
1: And then you said you lived close. Did you live close enough to, like, be able to stay at home? Or did you actually move on campus? I guess it doesn't really matter, but.
0: Well, Bloomington was about an hour and a half away from me where, oh, okay. I, where IU is. Um, so I did. I did move to Bloomington. Um, plus, who wants to live with their parents still? Like, let's be real. <gasps> I loved um. living with my parents. <laughs> 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 well, for me it was like a taste of independence i didn't want to be moving back <laughs> <That's> um, <fine. laughs> no i i moved to Bloomington and then would occasionally drive home and spend the weekend at home sometimes maybe every other month or so yeah, yeah.
2: Cool. well that's great that they still were like you know you should finish college but that doesn't mean that that's what you'll, you'll do as an adult because a lot of people say you know well why'd I spend all this money for you to be a music major if you're not gonna do that you know mm-hmm.
0: well yeah because they spent a lot of money in my high school they bought me my oboe they bought me all the reed mm-hmm, supplies mm-hmm. they paid for a lot of it leading up to college and even in college they kind of helped support me financially so for them to be supportive like yeah we're gonna continue to, to help make sure that your support, like you have the fundamentals, even knowing I wasn't going to continue to pursue it was still, it it was, it was good parenting on their part. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't have done it without them if I'm going to be completely honest.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really positive. And then you knew like, okay, this isn't everlasting. Like I don't have to be stuck in this kind of um, environment or mindset.
0: Well, the only thing that was a little tricky was <laughs> bringing up the idea that I might be studying abroad for a year and I won't be in the U.S. for the entire time. Because yeah. um, uh, that's that's scary for a parent, thinking that their child mm-hmm. is going to go live in a foreign country across a giant ocean for a good year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be scary for parents. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they weren't denying it right away. They just were like, well we'll have to think about what we feel about that. (laughs) And it just took a little bit of time for them to kind of process Mm -hmm. that. But they eventually came around.
1: And look at you now. You're going all over the place. (laughs)
0: And here I am now. I go there five times a month. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Do you think that um, realizing this about yourself, um, about where music fits into your life, was something that um, the college that you went to specifically – drove you towards like if you would have chosen a different college maybe things would have been different or do you think that that's just um what was going to be the end anyway like the same answer
0: i've actually thought about this a lot i don't necessarily have the answer because i don't know what my reaction would have been at another at another university i will say I have the suspicion that had I chosen to go to my number two school, um, I probably would have gone through a master's program because um, my original intention was to go all the way through a DM program. My original yeah. program mm-hmm. plan starting at IU was eventually going through a DM program somewhere. Um I probably would have at least done a master's had I gone somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like this is not digging the other universities that I would have gone to. I also don't think though that my playing would be anywhere near what it is now. And I'm not even saying Mm -hmm. I'm in a great place because I haven't played much for the past four years. But I just, because the program that I went through at IU, it's a phenomenal program. Like the oboe studio there is phenomenal. Like I can't deny that. And I learned In theory, I learned a lot. I just wasn't able to kind of put all the, like the whole picture together there, but I have all the tools to make it happen. And -hmm. I don't think most places would have given me that for what I was auditioning at back in high school, just because the teachers there are just not quite as refined. That's not, I'm not trying to diss them because they're great people and they're great players.
2: It's very regimented.
0: Yeah. And well, they just weren't as far in their career as the teachers at IU are. They're just not quite to that mm-hmm. stage yet and so i probably would still be playing music but i wouldn't be the player i am today without it
1: mm.
2: yeah mm-hmm. i also have a love-hate relationship i would say with my time at iu i mean that's pretty public i think
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it that's pretty common that i don't I want think
2: that's very common at at least for the oboe studio the oboe studio in general it's very, yeah. it's very hard um Not even just the studio was regimented, but all the other classes we took, too. Like, the oral skills, the um, theory, history, like...
0: Yeah. I mean, this may not end up in the final episode, but to show numbers, my year, we started with eight oboes as freshmen, my freshman year at IU, and only one of them is still playing, to my knowledge, like, full-time.
2: Yes. I mean, we were cut down by half. I mean, we we didn't have eight. We had four... One was mostly a composer. Now he's in med school. Not saying he's not still composing or doing music at all. But one completely transferred to the business school, which is not any easier.
0: (laughs) Mm -mm. No, (laughs) the business program at IU was intense.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we were cut by half. I mean, you know, maybe that's just what happens when you have a large studio, though, in general. But it was very tough.
0: And it was very intense. some people
2: can argue like, well, that just shows you what the real world is like. But part of like why we wanted to do this podcast is to say, well, hey, you know, it can be like that. Yes, that's true. But that doesn't mean quit altogether. I mean, not quitting is like a strong word, perhaps. Um But there are other options, especially now with um,
1: the internet. Right. Like you don't just have to go get your doctorate of music or go play in a symphony to be a musician.
2: Exactly. And we've we've been getting gigs that are paid. I mean, depending how well they're paid, it just, I mean, that depends on the person. However, I don't think we would have needed that, you know, great of a level of playing to get these gigs.
0: Oh, my God. I don't mean to cut you off, Lana. Guess who just messaged me?
2: I thought I heard someone's phone. (laughs) Is it Libby because she messaged me? Yes, it was Libby! (laughs) Libby, hi, Libby. Let's leave this in.
0: Libby hasn't talked... I haven't talked to Libby really since I graduated four years ago. That is wild. (laughs) What a coincidence. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to...
2: (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. Okay, so we were talking about IU, um... Oh, and just yeah. how there's more options now, and like we probably don't need any more skill to get the gigs that we get. I mean, maybe that's an
1: overstatement. Um, well, i need
0: to get back in shape before I could start pursuing gigs, but I do have the skill set and the knowledge base that IU taught me to work with. It's
1: so much easier to maintain a skill than it is to build a skill. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. I, I was listening to a fitness podcast the other day, and they were talking about how like being in quarantine people can't like go to the gym and you know keep their muscles big i guess you know it's the problem that i have um
0: <laughs> <laughs> same <laughs> same girl <laughs> oh
1: yeah i used to be so muscular but they were like, like quarantine but they were like yeah like it's so much easier to like maintain muscle than it is to actually build muscle and then i you know with my music brain i was like you know i think that relates to music too like it's so much easier to now that i know how to play scales like I can play my skills. Alright, that that's enough of that. You understand what I'm saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think that applies to a lot of skills. Like yeah. it's easier for me to maintain my German language skills than it is to like learn the language. <laughs> right.
1: Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I pulled my flute out the other day and I've been playing for a few few days now in a row because it's so much I'm actually really enjoying it. And um uh, like uh, i I bought a clarinet uh from an antique store like at the beginning of last summer, and I pull that out sometimes and just like play a few notes and like open a beginner book that I got and yeah it it's like the same thing, like learning an instrument, but uh, since I played the flute like ten years ago in band, I really haven't played it much since then, but I remember so much more of it um mm-hmm. than it's so much easier to remember that it is to learn the new fingerings.
0: I wonder what would happen if I pulled out my like a tuba if someone let me get like play their tuba if <laughs> I could remember anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it would come back quicker than you think. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I pulled out my bass. Anyway, so <laughs> Okay. Um anyway, Taylor, how long did you take off of the oboe and what made you want to come back to playing it?
0: Um So I graduated in May 2016, and then for the past four years, because it's been almost four years since then, I maybe will pull it out once every six months and play it for three or four days, and then I always would go back in its case, and I wouldn't see it again for six months. Um, Not because I didn't want to play, but there were a few things that I was kind of dealing with, one being... When I graduated, I was in a very dark place with it, and I just needed a detox period, if you will. I needed a time to let the system clear, restart my brain in terms of what I thought about music, because I found every time I was putting my instrument together after graduating, all I would think about was all these things that I was doing wrong, 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 wrong for my teacher, but never like just doing it because I wanted to have fun with it. And so it was never fun to put my instrument together. I, it was a chore. It was negative, And it wasn't necessarily a great liberating experience.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So I was just kind of trying to erase that negative, kind of toxic thought process that would have come to me whenever I was putting my instrument together. Um, and also, <laughs> oboists have to make reads. I'm a terrible read maker. Yeah. And I, didn't want to do that. And all the reads I had to play on were four years old at this point. Um, until Elena sold me some. She did make me a few. Aww. So props to her. Um, so so those just led me to not want to play. But I am, in the past probably two or three weeks now, pretty regularly getting my oboe out. Probably four or five times a week now I'll play... And I don't even do like long tones and scales, even though that's probably what I should be doing to get back in shape. I'll just pull out like an etude book and play some etudes, or pull out a piece of music that I've always wanted to play but never had the chance to. So I took about four years off, I would say, of playing, and now I'm trying to get back in shape and find avenues for me to do when I'm not working, but not necessarily doing it for money per se, but just to find it fun again. I want to get back to a place where I enjoy putting my over together. I'm not embarrassed to play for someone because I'm out of shape and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of listening actually lately, and I've kind of gone through a repertoire project thing where I want to be more familiar with the solo repertoire of other instruments Because people like, oh, yeah, surely you've heard this concerto for this instrument. It's like, actually, no, I haven't heard that. So let me go listen to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I would be embarrassed if there was a piece that I feel like I should know but wasn't familiar with. So I'm just kind of going on this like repertoire journey of recognizing pieces, just knowing more about them and more about other instruments. I've listened to a lot of Hilary Hahn in the past month.
2: (laughs) Oh. Yeah, Taylor, you've always been better at listening than than me. I don't again, we've talked about this before, me and Casey, we don't listen to classical music as much. Although you did inspire me to li- to listen to some Vaughn Williams, so
0: I well that's like I kind of decided in my p- like journey to get back in shape, I'm gonna actually kind of put energy into one piece just for maybe a month, month and a half or so, right. kind of clean it up, not get it like solo recital ready or anything like that, but just be in a good place with it. So I just asked Elena, I was like, Elena, what recording of the Von Williams Concerto do you like? She listed some concerto <laughs> and some oboist that I've never heard of, and I was like, I feel like I should know this. <laughs>
2: uh, uh. <laughs> so funny no i i remember being embarrassed because so the recording i gave him was bert lucarelli and that was something that my high school teacher gave me to listen to at very early and i just remember i always loved it and then i told somebody at iu that and they were like um elena (laughs) but i listened to it again and i was like you know what this is pretty good I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I listened to was. it
0: yesterday. I listened to it yesterday, and I was like, "This is actually." I there's a lot of positive things that I'm enjoying about this recording.
1: I like did have some critiques too. with it,
0: but like, I don't know. He, I think people. He's not of the Mac school, so I just feel like maybe that plays a role at IU. Right,
2: right. I mean, I will say, when I was at IU, I was the most critical of other people's playing. Like I felt like it kind of made me unable to enjoy listening to oboe players because I had to listen, or I was told to listen in such detail that I didn't enjoy what they were doing. I was just looking for flaws, you know?
0: Well, that's another thing. She also was very... She'd only let you I feel like she'd only approve of you listening to certain oboists. and if you listened and ventured out to get some like inspiring creative new ideas, she would like kind of mm-hmm. scold you for it. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't feel like I don't feel like there's ever gonna be something that you wouldn't benefit from listening to another school of thought. Like you may not agree with it. You may not necessarily enjoy it the most, but you're gonna still find something to take out of it. They're gonna have good musical ideas, probably.
2: Right. I mean, I can see from a teaching standpoint, like, if you're trying to teach something, especially to really young uh, boys, if you're trying to meld into, like, professional players, I can see being a little um, a little more mm, strict on, like, who they're listening to. But then it just becomes, yeah, a very small uh, it's a, avenue. Well, it's already where, a
0: limited pool of repertoire to listen to, like, recordings <laughs> exactly. to listen to. And then the way that it's approached, it cuts it down to, like, half. <laughs>
2: So mm-hmm, instead of having mm-hmm.
0: 20 recordings, we now have like 10, maybe 10 recordings.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: But that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> a little off topic.
2: <laughs> well, and Taylor and I were talking about how it kind of sucks that there's a lot of um, younger players now that have really good jobs. And they just don't have recordings out. And it kind of yeah. is sad.
0: <laughs> we were talking about this, how there's a lot of like oboists that are having very successful and active performance careers right now both solo and ensemble wise but they don't ever have recordings released they might have recordings but they don't ever release them on a cd for others to listen to um and so we're still kind of listening to recordings that are a little dated sometimes yeah
2: yeah Mm -hmm. well and you made the point like it definitely costs more to record than to like put it on the internet for people to listen to for free and
0: I can guarantee they probably don't sell much. Mm -hmm. So they spend, Mm -hmm. invest all this money to produce it and then don't make anything from it. And at the end of the day, they still need to make money.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So even with this like world that feels big in the classical realm or even the oboe realm or double read realm, it is still very small and hard to get resources in order to like really open up and widen your horizons and your point of Mm -hmm. view
0: mm-hmm yep
2: so you really do have to depend mostly on your teacher and if it's kind of not gelling with where you're at then you can feel very isolated and stuck
0: i experienced that very much
2: <laughs> Mm-hmm. me too yeah that's kind of why we bonded <laughs>
0: <laughs> especially our senior year doing 401 like our music history classes we took astronomy together
2: <laughs> yeah we did puzzles <laughs> while we studied.
0: We did. We have like.
2: <laughs> Wait, what? I don't know. Renaissance
0: music playing back and
2: <laughs> Yeah. We're just so reminiscing we, about we, college. <laughs> no, how do you do puzzles when you study? So it was like a drop the needle test or like, yeah, drop the needle test, which is an old way of saying I'm going to play a piece of music randomly. Start it in a random section and then you have to be able to oh, identify yeah. it. Listening test. The year, the composer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah listening test. Yeah. So we would just listen and say facts about it as we did a puzzle. Ooh. And it'd be on like a shuffle playlist.
1: That sounds fun.
0: Yeah. Let's and then that. when I would need to break it, the, the, Elena and Kelsey had this giant bean bag that was on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and oh I was go, like, go lay it back. I got rid
2: of that. Oh, that's a pity. I know, I know. She can't take it on the boat with her, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, should we get back on topic?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, you mentioned maybe wanting to teach oboe again.
0: Um, Yeah, so the current situation in the world with society kind of shutting down has me exploring other options. and. I, as I said earlier, I can't make an oboe read to save my life, so you will never see me selling oboe reads. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but I have been interested in getting into teaching, and I've actually thought about pursuing not a music educator's license to teach in public schools, but like a German license. But then also teaching mm-hmm. sectionals at local bands and wh- orchestras, and like private oh. oboe lessons and things That'd like be that. Cool. I f- Yeah, I thought about like venturing out and just doing some of that for some spare cash. And I think it would be a lot of fun and very Mm -hmm. rewarding to pursue something like that. Um, But never something where my daily goal is to wake up, teach music, and go to sleep. I just, that doesn't sound like the ideal setup for me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a few times a week, if I have, you know, a few oboe lessons to teach here and there, I think it would be fun. It would also, be a good incentive for me to really get my playing back into shape. Because if I'm going to be teaching these things, I want to be able to demonstrate them mm. and things like that.
2: Have you thought about taking lessons yourself? I mean, they're very expensive, but
0: <laughs> I have, <laughs> I actually thought about, cause for about a year, I was living back in the same city that my high school wood teacher lives and plays at and teaches that. And mm-hmm. I did think about reaching out to her and taking a few lessons with her. Um, They're just expensive.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No. She has her
0: doctorate and she went to Eastman. So she has the good education and she does charge premiums for it. Mm -hmm. And I just, now that I'm paying for the lessons and not my parents, I don't really want to pay it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Doesn't that put so much in perspective?
0: It really does.
2: (laughs) (laughs) About what your parents did. You also mentioned that you might, that you were really interested in musicology.
0: I Yes. So (laughs) grad school is something that I always come back to, like the thought of going to grad school. Um, And there is a part of me that does want to continue learning about music. There is an interest in that, but I could never see myself going for a performance-based graduate program. Um, And I feel like music history, we took two semesters at IU, was kind of an introduction to what musicology could be. And mm-hmm. while I wasn't particularly great at music hall ho- or music history classes, I was fascinated by the material that was presented, particularly in the Renaissance and Baroque era of music. That's where I really just I was I I eat that up. That's my jam. Especially like in terms of repertoire. Repertoire from the Baroque period is always gonna be my favorite. Sure. Um mm-hmm. So I did con- I am I guess still contemplating the idea of going to a musicology program but then I also think pursuing a graduate degree in musicology will open up probably two paths of career for me if I chose that one being it's a scholarly subject you learn it to teach it or you mm. learn it to do more research about it in maybe hopefully find some new stuff out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And neither of them seem particularly thrilling as careers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I can't justify spending the money on a graduate program mm-hmm. for something that I'm not actually going to really benefit from.
2: Mm-hmm. Other than so I'm just interested in it. So you just want to learn. It. You just want to learn things. Yeah, and like, that's so great yeah. about having the internet now.
0: That's true. I think it's something I don't need to spend the money at a university for i can go out and buy the same textbooks and read through that textbooks and do independent study and mm-hmm. i won't have the degree to show for it but i'm also not spending the thousands of dollars that it costs to go to a university
2: mm-hmm. i wonder you know how people do book clubs like i bet you could probably get a musicology
1: club going
2: <laughs> oh do a podcast
1: <laughs> uh, morgan would probably join it oh yeah <laughs> there you go morgan loves musicology Really? But she likes new music and Taylor's
2: all Baroque music.
0: I am not about new music. Could be
2: clashing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they could teach each other.
0: (laughs) Actually, this might be something funny to share. With all this repertoire search that I've been going on, I did have a couple of nights where I just kind of went down this recorder rabbit hole and listened to like Renaissance and Baroque recorder music. and Ooh. i feel like that could be something that's fun to just because recorders are not the ch- like the most expensive instrument out mm-hmm. there like you can get a standard recorder for like a couple hundred bucks mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and just kind of like learn a new instrument that's low pressure mm-hmm. there's not really much to do with it and it would just be fun and i won't have to deal with reeds or that organic material
2: yeah oh and, so and then you'll something. be playing your favorite music
0: exactly
2: <laughs> and, and you can like get a bunch of um different voices i don't know how you'd call how do you label that i need like the lower ones and the higher ones and then you yeah. can do an acapella video
0: oh my gosh i could <laughs> or i could play Brandenburg <laughs> 4 by myself basically
2: <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i mean hey it sounds like a really fun time and then you don't
1: have to fit into anyone's schedule
0: And the recorder's not that loud, so it's not like I'm going to be annoying my neighbors. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. And it's probably easy to fit uh, on the plane.
0: Oh, super easy. And and TSA won't even Uh, look at it, so they'll be like, what's this piece of hunk of plastic thing here? (laughs)
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think the hard part will then just be, like, fitting that into things, like, into your daily life. Because if you're going to school, then that's your priority, um, right, and I think that's why a lot of people kind of get stuck outside of school. It's like, well, I just work and then sleep, or you know, I work and have my family life, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to see how this will alter now because
0: <laughs> my I just started <laughs> a new chapter. I feel so. Who knows how it's going to go?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. This. I mean, I'm kind of excited for <laughs> <Where are> you. <laughs> what would the title of this new chapter be?
0: Um maybe something about exploring other options or uh, that's really generic and boring um <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe delete, something delete.
0: about going on some sort of exploration or adventure of discovering new avenues of music that's not very great either i don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like i don't have an answer that's going to be very sufficient <laughs>
1: It was a little um, ambiguous of a question. I see where you're going with that, though.
0: I'm just kind of exploring different options. Like, I'm just kind of seeing... Well,
2: it's really hard to just pick up the oboe.
0: (laughs) That's very true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Not that you can't do it. um, But like you said, there are a lot of barriers to just being able to enjoy the instrument.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that's one reason why... (laughs) when I came up with this recorder idea that I was very like, I'm kind of enthusiastic about that because that's an instrument that you pick it up and it's going to be the same as when you put it down. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you're not dealing with reeds that might break or that change with weather and things like that. Like you can get a very good plastic recorder for a very affordable price and plastic ain't going to change unless you break (laughs) it or crack it.
2: Yeah. Well, and you can still (laughs) use the knowledge of like all the, um, mm, technique work that we were hammered into our heads
0: exactly because it's still a wind instrument so there's still a lot of aspects of like support air support and things like that that i'm sure will carry over to the recorder it's just how it applies to the recorder specifically that i'll have to learn
1: right right mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, you're still gonna want to play it in tune with a tuner, and you're still gonna want to move your fingers fast enough, exactly. and you're still gonna want to like learn how to phrase things so that some parts are louder than others. Exactly,
0: like, all those principles apply to any instrument, not even just. Winded. That's what
1: I'm thinking when I'm like playing my flute now too. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, why don't I sound better? It's like, well, because you're not listening to yourself. You can oh, still do that. That's a whole <laughs>
0: other skill set I need to work <laughs> yeah. on: is listening to myself as I'm playing. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's really hard to do on an
1: instrument that's not, like, part of your everyday. (laughs) Yeah. What are your opinions on music moving forward in this digital age? What sort of um, digital projects are you most interested in with music?
0: Um, I don't know if I'm personally interested in doing a digital project, but I do love kind of absorbing these digital projects. Um,, mm-hmm. for example, um, I don't know if you guys know the YouTube channel Two set violin. They're kind of mm-hmm. I think becoming a thing
1: Is that the two um guys that talk kind of like commentary about,
0: Yeah, things? it's them, um, yeah, things like that, I think are very, very fun, like they're obviously serious musicians, but they also found a way. To do things with music that is fun for both musicians and probably even non-musicians, I feel like they could probably find some entertainment in what they're doing. Um, but they've like they've gotten the, like their YouTube channel. I feel like is growing a lot. They actually, I believe, did some touring where they kind yep. of had a show that they produced and went around. I don't know if it was a global tour or just around. I think they're Australian around Australia. I'm not really no, sure. No, it,
2: it was international. They were in Europe. It was. Oh wow. America. Maybe.
0: Well, maybe because I feel like I saw a video where they were on their tour and Hillary Hahn was there and she's.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She lives where in
0: New England or something?
2: I'm not sure. But they do a lot of videos with her.
0: They do a lot of videos with her. And so projects like that are very fun for me um, to just enjoy. Um, Or also lately because of the quarantine that's going on, a lot of people are doing like the oboe with Catherine Needleman. I feel like she does like a home recital almost every single day. And she posts a new video of her playing Mm -hmm. at least a few times a week and doing that to kind of get music out there. Or we'll see, I don't know if you, you probably have seen this too. Some of the bigger orchestras they are on their musicians are all kind of stuck at home. So they kind of all record their parts and they get spliced together to produce you know, like this overture, We each person played this overture, and now we're releasing this video of everyone at home recording their part of the overture, and then it's all been brought together and released mm-hmm. out there. So projects like that are really fun for me to absorb, and I can only imagine that if I were still playing actively, that that kind of project could be fun to try and incorporate into my life, you know?
2: hmm yeah. I really love how... Um, Everyone's kind of been doing this already, but now that it's forced to be basically the only way to get music out there, I feel like more of the um, I don't I don't want to say older, but like <laughs> the the musicians that have been doing. The same thing and have prospered off of just being in an orchestra, and that's it. I think they're now seeing like the value of all these projects online and how mm-hmm. it can actually, yeah. they're seeing like the reach that it actually has. And I'm hoping that going back, you know, a lot of these people are professors. I'm hoping that they'll consider that, you know, moving forward, especially with their students.
0: Well, I think it's something that could be fun for like teachers to maybe try doing especially these top sought-after teachers that have really great pedagogy skills um zoom is the new way to teach lessons right now or online lessons like that maybe host online master classes and people just pay the entrance fee to do this online master class and they can sit and watch this teacher talk about this the Strauss concerto or something and then like they don't no one's playing except the teacher, but the teacher goes through it and kind of talks about what they like to do with this particular piece of music. Like, I think that could be a great learning tool for people in general and and things like that. Or because people are really getting into these online lessons, it doesn't limit your private lesson studio to just whatever city you're living in. If they live in California, but you live in Texas, you could still teach them lessons from Texas.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, people have been doing those kinds of things. It just hasn't been in... Uh, I mean, maybe this isn't true, but it hasn't been in, like, the top-tier orchestral musicians' well, I just feel
0: like the top-tier might look down upon it, but now that they're yeah, being I mean, kind of forced to do it, they're probably seeing that it's very effective still. It's still a mm-hmm. great resource for people.
2: Right. And it's, it by no means, like, replaces the in-person lessons. I know there's a lot of... um people in college right now who are really frustrated with the lessons but i've heard a lot of people say that it forces even the teacher to be more present during lessons and listen closer and um you know they both kind of have to problem solve in different ways now you as the um student needs to problem solve especially if it comes to read making or like what's that weird sound coming out of your oboe like <laughs>
0: right is that I mean, why I still- or what <laughs> I would still prefer in-person <laughs> lessons, of course. I'm not trying to say that these mm-hmm. should replace that, oh, but no. it does provide other options for people.
2: Exactly. Like I don't. I. Well, I guess my point was I don't think that that will ever go away. But these new avenue, avenues are exciting that they're being more accepted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. My I um listened to a podcast from. Uh, one of my teachers in undergrad has a podcast and he was talking about how his teaching style has had to change because of um, all the students now being online. And he's like, I think that it's actually like exactly what a lot of my students needed because now mm-hmm. I'm requiring that they record th- like record themselves and send me a snippet and cuz i don't think that they have zoom set up or anything i think it's just like they have to record themselves or i don't know i guess i don't know exactly how they're doing it but um the point was that they're not all being forced to record themselves and listen to themselves and then send him like you know the best version of whatever they worked on mm-hmm. that week and he's like i've been trying to tell them for like years. Like I preach at my students all the time. Like record yourself. You need to know what you sound like. And this is like the first time that I think some of them are actually doing it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I am guilty of that. Miss Stroman would or my teacher would always tell me to record myself. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I never did.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, he's like He's and you know, I he's like I think I'm actually being harder on them than usual because oh yeah. like I know exactly what sort of schedule most of them keep and I know exactly like like it's one thing to be, you know, sharp or flat on specific notes when you're in person, but like if you're going to send in a recording. I mean that goes for like auditions and things too. Like if you're going to send in a recording, then it better be like, like there are some things that it's really hard to forgive when you could have just recorded it again. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah.
1: Um, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting yeah. too. Cause everyone that I hear is like, Oh, we're being soft on our students because this is a hard time and everything. And like, I get that in one sense, but <laughs> it was funny just knowing him and take, he was my ear training um, teacher for the two years. He taught me that class and <laughs> And just knowing his personality is like, yeah, of course you would be harder on everyone <laughs> during this.
0: <laughs> but also, I could also no, see I teachers. Teach it, I could also see teachers taking the approach that, well, they're stuck at home anyway. What else are they doing besides practicing?
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, I'm hoping because I've been trying to get more and more of my Texas students from last year to teach uh, or to take online lessons. I'm hoping this will make that easier because I've been moving a lot. (laughs) So now that they can kind of see this is common, I can maybe hold on to some former students.
1: I have some students um, from Guitar Center that I teach piano lessons to and, um, by the first week that we offered online lessons, it, I had like three or four people sign up. And then this week it's like almost doubled. And I think that that's because some of these kids are just so bored. They're like anything, even if it's a <laughs> piano lesson, I'll do it. <laughs> like give me something to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, those kids are really young, aren't they? Um, actually I, I really like the way that it's, um, divided. I teach on Monday and Tuesday and one kid on Friday, but, um, Monday seems to be like my older group. So oh, okay. older is in like the start of middle school up through like I think a sophomore in high school. Okay. Um and so it's really nice to be able to like be like get to talk to older kids one day <laughs> and then <laughs> switch to like younger kids the next day because the next day it's like a five year old to like seven is the range. Mm-hmm. So it- yeah, it, I, I'm finding all these resources online that like, I have all these games in person and I'm like, I just want to play this with you so bad. Or like, I just want to physically like move your hands to the right position, but I can't do it. So to, like <laughs> figure these other things out. The yeah. so, online lesson teaching is like frustrating in some sense, but, um, also it does provide a completely different set of opportunities. So yeah. I have all these online resources that I was never able to use because, um, cause her center doesn't have Fi, Um, Mm. And so I'm like able to share my screen with them and send them like, like um, music net has like all these different exercises um, that they can do. And I like, I can assign them like digital homework instead. Like I want to see like a screenshot of your score after you do this. Um, because all you have to do is share your screen with me. Yeah. <laughs> and then I can see it as opposed to like, print it out and bring it into your lesson. So I can see that you did your digital homework. And anyway, um, mm-hmm. There are pros and cons mm-hmm. of yeah. online
0: lessons. It's definitely forcing people, I think, to be more creative with how they approach their teaching or even their, le- their learning. If you're on the opposite end and you're still taking these lessons online, um, it's forcing you to find different avenues and methods of how you approach going to the lesson
1: mm-hmm. and how
0: you prepare for it. it, it I
2: guess.
0: Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can only imagine, like if you. My I have a friend. He's in his last year as an Oregon student at a school. He was supposed to be giving a senior recital. Um, mm. like already, like it's supposed to happen like a week ago. But instead, I think he just had to like record himself playing through the rep and then submit it to the school for a grade. That was his senior recital <laughs> At the same time. So while there are new avenues opening up in that regard, he also lost out on that opportunity to perform in public.
2: Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish. mm, I wish that they kind of required that to be put on social media, (laughs) maybe as like a Facebook live video. I don't know. Right. (laughs) I mean, I know how you I know why you probably wouldn't be able to require that. But at the same time, no, I don't know. Could be good.
0: Well then, yeah. um, a friend of mine. He went to. He was an an, edu- an a music education major at IU with me in my year. He is. He's struggling because he was told by the school he cannot assume that his students brought their instrument home before they closed the school doors. So now he's mm-hmm. trying to create all these lessons that have no attachment to an instrument because he cannot assume that they brought their their trombone home or something like that. Oh so, yeah. It's a pure, I guess it's kind of turning purely into like a music theory course kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, um, uh, my friend in Texas, she said that everyone who had their instrument signed up for online lessons, but there's like a good handful that just didn't bring it home before, you know, they couldn't go back to get it,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: mm-hmm. which kind of sucks. Yeah. yeah (laughs) like say what you want about them leaving it but I I mean I'm sure they regret that choice (laughs) I'm sure they miss it Mm
1: -hmm. I remember being in in school and then thinking like oh should I bring my bassoon back home with me like when we travel back to Virginia during spring break or winter break or whenever you know we would go back for a long period of time Mm -hmm. like well I know I should but at the same time, like, if I don't play it enough, then is it worth the risk of it being in a car for that long? Because, like, cars are dangerous. Mm-hmm. And my just assume costs more than my car. <laughs> oh, yeah. They
2: just want to end spring break, That's... a lot of these people. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like, crap, what do you do? Yeah.
2: You know whose senior recital is supposed to be today, actually? Teresa? Teresa's. We're sorry, mm-hmm. Teresa. Is she? We're sorry, Teresa. Is she going to do something online? I bet she is. I don't know. She's been sharing
1: some clips of herself in her blog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So then, um, just to wrap things up, what sort of future would you like to have in music? Where, where do you want music to fit into your life?
0: Um, I would just like to get to a place where... Like first of all, I need to get back in shape with my oboe playing. Like I, even if I don't ever really perform publicly, that's just something that personally I want to do. So that um, if someone decides, hey, let's meet up and play duets or something, that I'm not like out of shape. And after 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm done. My amateur hurts. I can't do this. Um, so that would be something just personally that I want to do. If I can get into a work situation where I have a more consistent schedule, I would still really enjoy the idea of finding like a community orchestra or a community band to kind of join and just play with other musicians. Cause sometimes that collaboration of an ensemble like that, like that's what I always loved. That was my favorite mm-hmm. part of the whole thing. I didn't ever want a solo career. That was never the Avenue I wanted. Um, so that would be ideal as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did mention grad school. That's something that I feel like until I ever go or make the conscious decision that I am never going to go, that I'm going to constantly be battling. Whether it's musicology, (laughs) maybe going and getting some sort of um, certificate to teach music more in a public school setting. But that's not something right now specifically that I'm interested in. But I could see myself maybe in a few years being interested in that path. Um.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean Just finding avenues of making it fun again That I can just mm-hmm. play for fun If it brings in some cash, cool But I'm never going to pursue any sort of endeavor with music That is going to make me dependent upon it for some sort of income That would stress me out way too much And I mm-hmm. don't really care to do that again Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I I love, I want to continue with this like repertoire project that I'm kind of on and really learn more like clarinet repertoire and who are the big names of clarinet players in the clarinet world and what's their big pieces that they tend to study. Um, do the same thing for cello, maybe do the same thing. I've been doing it with violin, continue to do it for those, um, maybe pursue the recorder, like I've mentioned before. So I have all these ideas. We'll see which ones I actually, you know, kind of commit to, but that's where I'm at.
2: Yeah. I think that's pretty interesting because I mean, here you are four years out of college after being a music major. And I mean, music is still has a big effect on your life. Music still has a big effect in your life, but there's so many options you can explore now and it's more um, creatively and individually driven. And Mm -hmm. I think that's gonna help keep you motivated as well as just like, this is what I want to learn. And that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice any sort of like, musical integrity I mean it, in a sense you're kind of holding on to that for yourself
0: absolutely not you can just do whatever you want with it and that's the thing with music is I can do something that's good for me and if it's not harming anyone and even if other people don't like it I don't care it was good mm-hmm. for me I benefited from that and I'll, I'll do it again if I have to you know
2: yeah and you have the, <laughs> you have the knowledge um coming from IU to just kind of know how to approach different avenues of music making.
0: That's true. I did have the idea, and I don't really know how I would go about making this happen, um, but I did mention that like Renaissance and Baroque music, the repertoire from that time is my favorite. I Mm -hmm. did have the idea of trying to learn a little bit of Baroque oboe, Mm -hmm. but unless I enroll in like a graduate program about historical oboe playing, I don't really know how I would go about pursuing that. I mean, I could study baroque repertoire, of course, but the actual instrument is a whole different thing, and I don't really know if I could get my hands on one. What would I do for Reeds for that instrument? But I mm-hmm. think it could be a lot of fun, but it also sounds like it'd be very, very expensive.
2: <laughs> right. I don't know. if somebody has like a camp for like a week where you don't you all just go do Baroque oboe. <laughs>
0: That's true. I mean, maybe someone should
2: make that. That would be fun.
0: (laughs) Maybe I could convince someone to do that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, nothing is off the table, and it just happens to be what direction you find yourself going.
0: That's true. Because even if maybe, who knows, maybe five years from now, I will be like, I want a performance career again. I still have the, the, (laughs) the education from IU and the proof that I went to IU and the, like the knowledge and the resources that it gave me. So if I ever chose to, it would take work, but I could do it again. I just, right now, I, that's not what I want, you know? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. And you're able to think more clearly just coming out of that break from being in such an insane mm-hmm. world. <laughs> it
0: sounds silly, but it literally, it truly did take me four years of not being there for me to kind of get a fully clear head on it and have that that uh that want to do it again. Yeah, it and you know years. it's not been
2: like 4 years of doing nothing. I mean, you've moved a lot and you've been obviously traveling a lot and jet lag. I mean, oh yeah. yeah I've done a lot in
0: that 4 years, but mm-hmm. I, it just to me 4 years sounds like a very long time for I can do I don't know. Period. I think when you're
2: an adult 4 years isn't that long. Yeah. That's
0: true. <laughs> But considering I was at IU for four years, it was basically took four years of getting the education and four years of detox.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about um, older women who graduated with a degree in oboe performance, and then they had you know a family, and then after like 20, 30 years, they're trying to get back into it. So it's never too late.
0: That's very true. And I'd rather do it now than in my 50s. It's just going to get harder the older I get.
2: <laughs> yeah. But not impossible.
0: No, never impossible, just more work, mm-hmm. harder.
2: Right, right. Awesome. Different obstacles. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, Casey? Uh, I don't think so. This was interesting. Yeah, was fun. Thanks for being on, Taylor.
0: <laughs> this was fun.
2: I just wanted to pop in on the end here to give a quick update, because after recording this episode, Taylor has sent me many practice recordings, and quite honestly, he's been practicing way more than I have lately. I really admire the pure love he has for music and the oboe. I sent him the link to download the acapella app, and about 10 or 15 minutes later, he sent me like two videos of himself using the app, and he's just been sending me recordings that inspire him. He's looked up videos about what kind of recorders to buy. It's just a huge inspiration for me, and it reminds me just how much joy music can bring you and others, no matter what level you are aspiring to reach. So again, thanks for listening. I wanted to share that last update with you. And remember, if you're enjoying our podcast, we'd love to hear from you too. Feel free to write us a review on iTunes or message us on Instagram. Talk to you soon.